And I think with digital health, and it's not the only one, there are some other emerging specialties where people are having to pave their own paths, um, you kind of just have to get involved in the industry. So it's getting yourself known. And this is something you don't get taught in medical school is we don't get taught how to network. We don't get taught how to make ourselves known or how to get out there and kind of sell ourselves. And it's almost like a dirty word in, in, in medicine if you're sort of self-promoting. You know, that's not something we do. We don't, you know, we're, we're all altruistic. We're all in this, you know, for all the good of it. How dare you go around sort of being so arrogant that you're selling yourself. But it's something that's quite common in other industries, you know, in the business world and corporate world, you do have to go out there and kind of find the work. And for digital health, I think because we are a community we're, we're still quite small and we're still quite close-knit. Um, you have to kind of let people know that you're there. Welcome to Junior Doctors Corner, the podcast that helps medical students and junior doctors like yourself not only survive but thrive in your careers. We cover topics including doctor well-being, career and life outside of medicine. My name is Dana and I am your host for this podcast. Are you ready for a healthy dose of support, motivation and inspiration? Then let's start this episode stack. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Junior Doctor's Corner. You might notice that my voice sounds a little bit different. That's because I've just recovered from a very horrible viral erty. I'm thinking maybe it was para-influenza because I had aches and headaches and the full lot of it. Anyway, getting back to the podcast, this episode I interviewed Dr. Amandeep Hansra, the amazing founder of Creative Careers in Medicine. If there's one person I could name that I know of who's forged her own path in medicine, it would be Dr. Hansra, the amazing founder of the creative career, the amazing founder of creative, <clears throat> the amazing founder of creative careers in medicine, and also a leading digital health expert in Australia. So, if you are interested in digital health or curious about it, want to know more about it, how to get on it, make sure you listen to this episode. Before we jump right into this episode, there is a quick announcement that is actually related to this episode. I will be speaking at the Creative Careers Medicine conference, uh, virtual conference, in fact, later in December. So you will notice that Amandeep and I uh, talk about it in this interview, and uh, that's the conference that we're alluding to. So if you are interested in coming along, and whether it's to listen to me talk, um, because you're not sick of my voice yet, or there are many, many, many other amazing guest speakers there going to be talking about really awesome topics, please, please come along and get your ticket through creativecareersinmedicine.com. Without further ado, let's jump right into the episode. Hi, Dr. Amandit Hansra. Thank you so much for joining me on Junior Doctors Corner. Well, thank you for having me. Now, for people or my listeners who happen to have not come across you, I mean, how can they not? Because, you know, CCIM is just so fabulous and famous. Can you please tell those listeners a bit about yourself? Yeah, I feel like I've told my story lots of times, but I'm always happy to, to share it because I certainly think I have had one of those creative careers that kind of led me to, to starting the whole organisation. But I'm essentially a GP. I still um, identify myself as a GP and that's, you know, what I, I still 
keep doing and I want to do. And I work a couple of days sort of part-time as a GP. But the rest of the time I work in the digital health, telehealth world. So I work um, around health technology and sort of my side hustle is really creative careers in medicine. And um, I wear a few different hats, do a few different things. I really like the variety of all the things I get involved in. But really my passion is still being a doctor, primary care and the whole health technology and innovation space. And so you are one of Australia's leading digital health experts currently. As you mentioned, you are very much in this space. Can you please share with us how you ended up in this digital health space? Because um, it's certainly not taught in medical school. It's still like a fairly youngish space, especially here in Australia. Yeah, thanks. I don't know um, how I got the the leading digital health type <laughs> expert title, but um, that's fine. I'll take it. There's not a lot of us in Australia, so it's great to be leading in something. For me, it was really just, um, I think, as as my friend and colleague Ash Coxon likes to use the word um, happenstance, you know, it was an opportunity that arose that was not engineered or planned. I really was just trying to find my niche in medicine. Um, I struggled a lot to find the specialty that suited me and my personality and my lifestyle choices. Ended up working in a clinic doing sort of occupational medicine and travel medicine, a few other things, more because I, I was a parent at that stage, didn't wanted to sort of have structured hours and not be doing long days in general practice. Um, so I was working in that job part-time and an opportunity arose with that company to get involved in telehealth. Um, this was, you know, a decade ago. And I didn't know what it was, didn't know what it meant, didn't know that it was going to be a career direction for me. I just thought there's something I know nothing about and somewhere that I can learn and probably not a lot of other people are doing this, so why don't I put my hand up and see how it goes? And that really was the beginning of this whole career that's kind of just now in retrospect looks like I, I organised in some way, but I didn't at all. So I spent a number of years working for that telehealth uh, service and helped them set that up and, and, and worked on it and learned really all the ropes about telehealth. But through there got sort of exposure to how technology works in healthcare, you know, what are some of the applications of, of technology that we've got available that could improve access to healthcare. And for me, I started to see something that could be quite positive. I find that with a lot of medicine, you can start to become a bit cynical. You know, we've got a system that seems unsustainable. You know, we've got increased demand, poor supply. We've got, you know, chronic um, ageing population. And for me, it was like, well, what is the positive things that we can look at to try and solve some of these problems? And technology it's not the panacea, it's not going to solve everything, but it is somewhere where you could be a bit creative, you can be a bit forward thinking, you can be a bit futuristic and innovative and you can actually change the system. So I thought this is an area I want to stay in um, and then lucky for me I got offered a job with Telstra Health and that really kind of took me to new places with my digital health um, sort of experience and I got involved with a, a company in Switzerland. So I started to get some international exposure to telehealth and digital health. Then I started to learn all about business because I had to run a business. I became the CEO of that business. And, um, you know, as a doctor, you're kind of sitting there thinking, you know, I don't know anything about how to run a business. What, you know, what's a P&L um, statement? You know, people talk to you about all this language and jargon that you've not really heard before. Um, so I did, you know, go and do some further training in that but really just kind of kept in that 
telehealth, digital health sort of space and met some incredible people, people who'd been in there for many years fighting the good fight, introducing computers to general practice, you know, some of the people that have been around forever and just to learn from them, be inspired by them. And I realised it was a community that welcomed me with open arms and I wanted to be part of it. And so I continued, um, stayed with Telstra Health. I did some things overseas in the Philippines with another telehealth company. And then since leaving there, I've been doing a lot of digital health consulting. Um, so actually going and solving problems using technology in the healthcare sector. And I've essentially created my own sort of portfolio career now um, in this area because there are there's no sort of paved way. There's no this is what you must do if you're a digital health expert. And I actually just, you know, had to make up titles for myself because people say, what do you do? And I'm like, I don't know. There's no specialty for this area. So it's kind of just cool being in uncharted territory and being the one that gets to kind of help pave a path for people behind you and say, well, what could I create that would have made my life easier? And so now I'm super interested in how do we upskill our other junior doctors? How do we get medical students interested in digital health? How do we create fellowships? How do we create potentially a college one day? You know, there's all these things that can be done in this area. So it's all very exciting, but it wasn't planned. It wasn't organised. I didn't know when I was at medical school, this is where I'd end up, but I I love what I do. I really do. That's great. It sounds like one door opened for you and then you went through it and then another one kept opening and yes. one after another. Yes. Um, and yeah, certainly this is not something that is taught in medical school. We're not yeah. very familiar with it unless, you know, like yourself, if you're actually in it. So yeah, uh, I was just wondering uh, in terms of the practical aspects, I know you gave some examples of the stuff that you have done. What does your day-to-day work look like practically in the digital health space? You know, is it uh, very much still clinical um, or is it a mix of both non-clinical or is it completely non-clinical at all? Um, so I still do a couple of days of clinical work where I'm a regular GP and I see patients and everyone thinks I must have some, you know, great gadgets and <laughs> have a practice that's very technologically advanced, but no, I was just a regular GP. But it's great to be able to see some of the problems firsthand because then when I go and work on other things in my wearing my digital health consultant sort of hat, I can say, well, that wouldn't work in reality, right? If you make that change to the system, you know, that's not going to help a GP or help a patient. For the rest of my time, I mean, no two days are the same. It's really I wake up in the morning and I just I have no idea what's going to happen today. And it's quite exciting. You know, you get given problems. So a lot of what I do is problem solving. You know, there's an organisation that says, okay, we want to... Um, you know, do telehealth better, you know, how can, what's the best sort of system we should implement? How do we train our doctors or, you know, what, what are some of the challenges we need to overcome? Um, but it's, I mean, it's not just telehealth. I've done things in other areas like uh, there was a job that I did that was about reviewing an EMR. Um, so there was an EMR that was rolled out across the whole state and the doctors didn't like the EMR and said it didn't work for them. And so it was, you know, I was part of a team, but we went in and went, okay, well, how can we solve this problem? There's an EMR here that management have paid for, um, that the technology people have built, but the clinicians aren't getting the value out of it. So you kind of a bit like a detective, you go around, you kind of interview people, you find out their perspectives, you know, are their concerns valid? And then you feeding you feed that back to kind of come up with solutions to say, well, maybe if you designed it this way, maybe if you created some more clinical engagement, maybe if you got 
teams involved um, who are clinicians to help design the system, you know, in a way that they are going to get value from it, maybe if you involve patients in this process. I mean, so a lot of it is kind of going in and doing an assessment of the problems and then trying to come up with solutions. Um, so you do that sort of side of things um, where you're solving problems, but I also get involved in, um, currently involved in a bit of research around um, the use of digital health and telehealth, particularly during COVID. I was involved in a project when they were setting up the National Coronavirus Helpline. So even just going, well, how do we, you know, have this massive scale helpline with, you know, a thousand clinical staff on the end of the phone telling people what to do during COVID. Um, so sort of understanding how do you direct people to the right sources and how do you train all this staff and how do you build the systems to support that so you, the, the variety in what you get involved in is really broad so you can work in hospitals you can work in with GP clinics you can work I've worked with community care organizations for community nursing I've worked aged care um, across the board so you really do get to get into the nitty-gritty of all the different parts of the health system because digital health touches everything it's not just a GP-based thing or it's not just a hospital-based thing, um, you can be everywhere and anywhere. So it really it really varies day to day, um, but you get to do bits of research, you get to do education and training, you get to do a lot of, um, you know, sort of government reviews or engagement, you get to work with technology vendors, so companies that build the technology, you get to work with, you know, committees, you might sit on committees or boards or, you know, I mean, it's just, it, it's kind of endless, really, mm. all, all the options that you have within that space. It's really broad, really broad. So for those of our listeners who are majority of them are junior doctors, if they are interested or, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of upcoming junior doctors who will be interested in this stuff because it's becoming uh, more and more prevalent and important in what we do. What advice would you give them about getting involved in digital health? Like, do they need to pursue a degree? Um, do you have done IT or anything like that? I know yourself, you have mentioned in the past that you have an MBA. Um, is this a prerequisite for getting involved in digital health? Look, um, absolutely not. The MBA was really something um, I think I did for fun and, boy, I had fun. Um, but it certainly, it certainly, you know, wasn't entirely relevant to my digital health career. It was more that I started to get into the business side of things and I wanted to understand how does business work? Um, and it was a global MBA, so we got to go all over the world. And they really did have a focus on technology and startups, but it was, wasn't was health-specific. So I was, you know, I guess in a group with lots of people from different industries. Um, and the projects that we did were in, you know, banking and um, supply chain and all these other industries. But it was great because I could take some of that and apply it back to healthcare, but it's certainly not, you know, necessary for a career in digital health. Um, my advice for digital health, because there isn't a clear path, right, if you're going to be a GP, somebody tells you you do this many years in the hospital, then you join this training program and then this is exactly how many months till you become a fellow if you pass all your exams and there's no technical glitches, um, which is terrible for those people that have to go through that. But it really is kind of laid out for you in most specialties. And I think with digital health, and it's not the only one, there are some other emerging specialties where people are having to pave their own paths. Um, 
you kind of just have to get involved in the industry. So it's getting yourself known. And this is something you don't get taught in medical school is we don't get taught how to network. We don't get taught how to make ourselves known or how to get out there and kind of sell ourselves. And it's almost like a dirty word in, in, in medicine if you're sort of self-promoting. You know, that's not something we do. We don't, you know, we're, we're all altruistic. We're all in this, you know, for all the good of it. How dare you go around sort of being so arrogant that you're selling yourself. But it's something that's quite common in other industries, you know, in the business world and corporate world, you do have to go out there and kind of find the work. And for digital health, I think because we are a community we're, we're still quite small and we're still quite close-knit. Um, you have to kind of let people know that you're there. So my advice, and I've seen some junior doctors and some amazing medical students that I already know about uh, and I know they're going to have amazing careers in digital health because they put their hand up and they got involved. So my advice would be the first protocol call really is the Australian Institute of Digital Health, so AIDH, used to be called HISER, the Health Informatics Society of Australia. But I think digital health is a little bit more, um, a bit more of a sexier term than informatics. So uh, I think it's a nicer, a nicer title. But the Institute of Digital Health really kind of, um, I guess, helped me find my digital health tribe. So there are all sorts of people in that community. There are people with a technology background. There are people um, with management executive background. People from health care you know, doctors but also you know OTs physios you know you name it all in that sort of group and you get to mix a lot with people from different backgrounds um, but certainly going along to some of the events they've actually got I think a, a community of practice for for medical students um, so certainly getting yourself involved in that going to their conferences or at least you know attending the virtual ones which is hard for networking but you know you do what you can at the moment but each state has a branch and you can go to some of the events um you know I'm not sure if they started to do face-to-face events yet but so get yourself known the other thing I would advise people to do is get experience so the way to get experience you don't wait for things to be advertised you know if you've got someone that you know that has a startup and they're building some app um, you know, that's going to solve a healthcare problem and you have no background in health, digital health, but you're interested in it, you know, go to that person and say, look, you know, can I hang around you? Can I help? Can I be part of it? You know, is there something that I can do, provide some clinical input? And the more experience you get like that, the more that you can build sort of your resume and say, look, I've done stuff with a startup or I've gone and, you know, spent some time working with, um, you know, a patient management system that I use in in general practice, you can say, look, I want to give some feedback to this patient management system company and get in touch with them. I think what a lot of people do is they sit and wait for a job to be advertised, um, you know, like a medical advisor or something for a technology company. And and then they go, I don't have all of the, you know, sort of requirements that they've listed, qualifications or experience. And so then they go, well, I'm not going to apply because I don't have it, but then how do I get my foot in the door? So my advice is don't wait for that. Um, because if you don't wait for a job to be advertised, then you don't have to meet any qualifications or specifications, right? You create your own. You go and pitch yourself and say, I'm super enthusiastic. I'll come and hang out with you. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll fill out Excel spreadsheets if I have to, but I love what you do. And before you know it, they will have a job that comes up and they will go, you know what, we think you're the right person for it and we're going to create all of the 
qualifications and specifications requirements for this job based around you because we really want you to have the job. So I think people spend too much time waiting for stuff to happen and, you know, always go by that quote of, you know, if opportunity doesn't knock, you know, build a door. And I think that's certainly what I've seen. The people who are successful are the people who have gone out and built, built doors all around and said, you know, I'm not going to wait for you. I'm going to come in there and tell you who I am so you know that I'm here and I'm excited about this. So my advice is, you know, network, 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 go to events, you know, get into involved in the industry, then apply to companies that you like and say, I want to do some, you know, experience with you, I want to help out. And um, and you'll find that there will be, you know, things that people will, um, will, will love to have you involved in. Um, but certainly don't get fixated on, getting a degree in IT or um, having to do qualifications and getting certificates. We as doctors are obsessed with getting letters after our names and thinking nothing matters unless you have a fellowship or you have a PhD or you have a master's or something. You know what? The real world doesn't all operate like that. Um, we're just a bit weird in medicine. We get obsessed with these letters. But in the real world, experience counts and what you've done, what you've actually really done. So that would be my advice is to get get out there and actually do stuff. That's some really great advice and just a couple of comments I'd like to make. I think yes. partly with the whole obsession with needing to obtain more qualifications, I think it comes from a, a lot of doctors being perfectionistic and have some imposter syndrome. We all feel the need to sort of, well, I'm not, unless I'm qualified on paper to do yes. something, I shouldn't go and do something. Otherwise it's wrong or it's not good enough and all of that. Yeah, look, absolutely. And, um, you know, they always talk about, you know, the, the difference between sometimes women and men applying for jobs that, you know, women will go, look, I can't do 100% of what listed here is the requirements for this job or I don't have all the qualifications, so I won't apply. Men are happy with 50%. And I think that is part of the issue with us in medicine generally and I think it happens with both genders where we do get a bit obsessed about having to meet all the criteria. But as somebody who's worked a little bit in kind of the recruiting space, kind of with CCIM and a few other things that I've done, um, it's sometimes the the person who's employing you doesn't know what they want. Sometimes what they put down on paper is not exactly what, you know, they sometimes they've just got no idea and they're just trying to come up with something they can put down on paper, you know, to try and weed people out. Yeah. And a lot of the people that I know who are in amazing jobs right now um, walked in the door and said, I don't need anything on your list, but I want this job and this is why. And they have had some amazing careers, you know, working for airlines, working for cruise ship companies, working for technology companies. So my advice is, you know, throw that out of the window, you know, don't get fixated on not meeting all of the little boxes that, you know, you're supposed to tick and put yourself forward because the worst thing that can happen is someone says no, but go away and do X, Y, Z and come back. Um, you know, but if you don't even put yourself forward, you don't even get that. You don't get any advice about what's missing or what's lacking. Yeah. And I think um, the other thing as well, I notice a lot amongst junior doctors, and I certainly have been guilty of this myself in the past, is this worry around 
oh, if I go and do something that has never been done before or is a little bit unconventional, I might have wasted my time because this is not something that traditionally um, mm. colleges would look at favorably or go, oh, yeah, you get extra credit for doing this. And then if I went out and say uh, there's this startup tech company and said, hey, I'm interested and that ended up as a dead end, that's a waste of time. But I think at the end of the day, if you chances are we're going to learn something from it regardless of whether or not it became something we initially wanted. So I think junior doctors need to be a bit more brave and explore things and not be so focused on just the checklist that colleges put out on whether or not you get onto training programs because I think one day everyone will meet all those checklists and you're going to be that one person who did that something different that differentiates you from the other candidates. Uh, A hundred percent. You know, I I think... A lot of people have a bit of this anti-climax when they finish their fellowship because you might be 30, right? And if you think about it, you've got another 30 to 40 years of doing the same job. And it's different in other industries. You work in the corporate world and if you want to, you can climb up the ladder. And you might start, you know, as a bank teller, but then in 30 years, you're actually the CEO of the whole of Westpac, right? Mm -hmm. So you have a path and you can keep moving up. In medicine, we have this, this strange thing where, you know, you sort of get to your peak and then it's everyone looks around and goes, but I'm so used to working towards something, what's next? And so my advice is don't rush to get to that peak because it could all just be downhill from there. No, I'm not saying that. Um, <laughs> definitely not all downhill. But, you know, for a lot of people, that is the point in their career when I see them coming to things like CCIM going, well, I've finished now and now what, you know, and you can go and subspecialize and, you know, go into if your GP, you decide, okay, I want to go into cosmetic medicine or skin cancer or, you know, I really enjoy mental health. I mean, you can choose to subspecialize. I think sometimes the worry with some people who subspecialize after, you know, they sort of reach that peak is that sometimes it's harder to come back and then go generalist again so you know you have to just be prepared that it will be a bit of a learning curve to come back in again but I mean certainly you can do that but I think there are other ways to kind of make sure that your career longevity and satisfaction last and one of that is don't rush to get to that that peak so take time out and do other things learn other things because all it's going to do is make you a better you know specialist or GP or consultant or whatever it is because life experience and experience outside of the hospitals, outside of the clinic setting is all going to add to the kind of doctor that you become. Nothing is ever a waste of time. You will learn something in every single job that you do, whether it's related to medicine, whether it's not related to medicine, whether it's a failure, whether you feel like you made a mistake. Um, I've had plenty of failures. I have, I can't even list all, I don't even put half the stuff I've done on my resume anymore because there's so many you know dead ends that I went down but I know that they all taught me something so when trouble arises I can go I remember we had the warning signs back then when I was working at XYZ and I can steer this a different way so my advice is also that nowadays it's becoming much more accepted to do other things I'm seeing colleges changing their tune they're going oh you know what happy for someone to go and go part-time and if they're doing something else interesting you know we might like to be seen as being a forward-thinking innovative college and you know this is going to look good on our PR so I think we're in a different 
stage now. When I started, definitely not. We would be frowned upon. But now I see people kind of going, oh, that's cool that you're doing other things. So it's suddenly become a little bit more acceptable. So I'd say don't be afraid of that. The traditional paths, you know, that sort of thing is starting to become, uh, you know, less and less relevant as, you know, the only way to go. Speaking of doing other things, so aside from digital health, you are known for being the founder of Creative Careers in Medicine. So the wonderful annual conference that actually did help spark, you know, some ideas in me to further this podcast, um, thanks to your conference that I attended in Sydney uh, back when, let's see, that was in 2018, 17, 18. Yeah. That was the first time I attended that and it was amazing. And it's now a massive community on Facebook as well. Uh, Can you please tell us how did that idea come about? Look, it was really just, you know, me looking at my career and feeling a little bit lost. When I finished up working at Telstra, I I thought, well, what now? Like, what does somebody with my background and experience do next? And I really didn't have any mentors. I couldn't go to my college and say, has anyone else worked for a telecommunications company and set up a telehealth business? What do you do next? So it, it was kind of a bit lonely and a bit isolating. And I thought, well, it would have been nice to have had other people who've done something different to kind of bounce ideas off. And I realised that during my time at Telstra, I had come across some interesting people you know, the chief medical officer of Microsoft, the founder of Health Engine, you know, like all these doctors that had gone out and sort of pioneered and done, you know, really interesting things. And I thought, well, who do they talk to? Who's their community? Who's their tribe? And it really was just a discussion amongst some of them. And I just kept testing the idea with people saying, well, what if we create a bit of a community of people who've done interesting things? And then we thought, well, we'll kind of have a little group meeting in Sydney. And we really did not expect, we thought we'd get like a handful of people. There'd be 20 people who do weird and wonderful things. And that's all right. We've got 20 friends now. And we just put it up on social media. And before we knew it, all these people wanted to come and listen to the stories. And we ended up having 400 people turn up. And it was just mind-blowing because... I didn't realise that so many people out there were interested in this space. I thought it was just for the few weirdos that we might have been seen as. So I always call myself a black sheep because it's like in medicine, I really felt like I'm the one that knows exactly what I want to do and I definitely want to be a neurosurgeon or I want to be an orthopaedic surgeon. You know, people just had this very fixed idea and they knew what they wanted to be. And I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And I say this to my kids when they're trying to figure out what they want to do with their lives. And <laughs> I go, I still haven't figured it out. But it's great because you get to keep reinventing yourself. And so it was fantastic to create this community for people where suddenly you gave validation to others who also, you know, other people gave validation to you that, you know, they too had felt the same things you were feeling, that Um, you have this obligation put on you when you do a medical degree, which kind of it's an unwritten thing that happens in medicine where someone makes you feel like you've taken a spot that thousands of other people wanted, maybe hundreds of thousands of people wanted. You know, it's such a sought-after place in a medical school that don't you dare waste it and make sure you give back to society and make sure you become something that everyone can be proud of. And if you dare take any time out or you decide to leave, you're a bad person. And it puts this immense amount of pressure on whether it's medical students, junior doctors, doctors further along in their career, that you can't ever give up being a full-time practicing clinician. And 
I think that's sad because we're people like everyone else. And yes, we got given this amazing opportunity. And, you know, most of us have taken great, you know, um, you know, given back as much as we can, you know, from having been given the opportunity. But we also need to be satisfied and happy in our lives. And I think this community allows people to think outside the square, to come up with other ways that they can increase their longevity in their career. Because if you burn out too early, you lose that person completely to the system. So my thoughts were, well, if we keep them in and we help them with side hustles, you know, creative ideas of the type of job they might do or having creative outlets, we're going to create this happier, more satisfied workforce that's going to stick around in healthcare longer. It's probably going to be nicer to their patients. We're going to have better patient outcomes. We're going to have a better system overall. So I feel like it was going to contribute positively to the whole healthcare system if we had happy doctors, really. And that's what I thought the community would do, provide that support and inspire people and give them, you know, safe place to, to talk about all these things. And that's what it's really become. I mean, I think we're almost at 10,000 now, just under 10,000 um, people, which is just, yeah, in, in, in just over two years, it's, it's mind-blowing, really. Well, I agree that certainly does uh, help with making happier doctors because I certainly value having this podcast to stretch and flex my um, creative muscles as much as I can. Uh, it's what has kept me sane so far in these past couple of years. And what I really like about it, this whole community, I've been able to connect with a lot of people, both doctors and non, non-doctors. It's how everyone's just found common ground and come together, whereas otherwise ordinarily we would have just gone, oh, you know, I, I'm a GP, you're a surgeon, I have nothing to do with you otherwise. Um, that's yeah. the most amazing part about it is that we all come together with this cool little uh, creative common ground. And with regards to, you know, we mentioned um, the conference a couple of times now, um, COVID-19 pandemic has unfortunately prompted the conference this year to go virtual. I think that's pretty cool, actually, although I really miss the face-to-face component. Yeah. I would have liked yeah. to, you know, see everyone um, in person. Uh, but Can you please tell our listeners about some exciting workshops and talks that they can look forward to? Yeah, so look, it's really sad that we've had to go virtual. We had um, planned for another big conference. After last year, we were um, at the Gold Coast and it was just amazing, incredible conference. And this year we were going to be back in Sydney um, and obviously COVID ruined all of our plans. And I'm, you know, one of the other creative outlets I have is I love, you know, putting on events. And, and with Jessica Abbey, who's our event and community manager, you know, Jess and I get very creative. We have this whole superpower-themed CCIM planned event where we even knew, you know, what we were going to wear, everything. So it was a bit of a shame to have to go online, but that's okay because the great thing about going online is that more and more people can attend. So it doesn't matter what state you're in and it doesn't, you know, you'd have to pay for accommodation and flights. And we've also got a lot of members from New Zealand and some other countries as well. We've got people in um, Australian doctors and also international doctors. Mm. So it's exciting that people can attend from, from everywhere. But we're, we're trying to replicate what we do in person. Um, so there'll be a lot of great keynotes. We've got Dr. Carl Krishnamiki, who everybody probably knows, is kind of the iconic creative career doctor, um, you know, who has a medical degree but went and did all these other things. I mean, when I had a chat to him and I said, start telling me about your career, I was like, oh, probably going to need a lot of time because he's done such interesting things from being, you know, a taxi driver 
you know, to all of his, his science pursuits and writer and everything. And he's going to be fabulous. But we've got just, you know, some really great um, other presenters. We're, we're covering lots of different areas. So we've, we've seen kind of um, what's emerging is a lot of doctors' side hustles have been things like charities and starting um, sort of not-for-profits. Um, so we've got a session on that where a few doctors are presenting on things that they've started and how they did it because we get questions about that all the time. Um, but we cover all the usual stuff, you know, whether you want a career in in pharma or whether you want to do management consulting, whether you've got, you know, technology idea, whether you want to get into being a panel physician or doing occupational medicine, travel medicine, locuming. I mean, we just cover the whole whole gamut over, over the two days. So I think it's really important for people to try and attend if they can, just to give you that breadth of what's out there and, and hear some stories. And, you know, there'll be a lot more relatable stories. I think sometimes we've had our conferences in the past and you've had these amazing speakers and you hear their stories and you just go, wow, am I ever going to be that or get there? But I think what we're really trying to do is tell people how they can do that step by step. You know, you've got an idea. And, and some of the people presenting today were people who had ideas back in, the last CCIM conference and have now turned it into something. So it'd be great to say, well, you walked away from that conference and you went, we're actually going to go and start that thing that we talked about. And now to see how they actually went about and did that so that it gives people that idea that you can do it too. You know, if you want to start a podcast, if you want to go and be a media doctor, you know, that it's it's not like, oh, it's all too hard. It's, well, these are the steps that you can do to get there. So trying to make it more practical and and implementable but I think it'll be a great event and we're hoping next year to be back you know bigger and better and get all my creative juices out and actually hold a really really great you know live event so that's what we're hoping to do next year. Well I can't wait for this year's event and I definitely will be looking forward to the next event when it's (laughs) face-to-face. Now, obviously, you know, you're very much a multifaceted person being GP, digital health expert, also founder of Creative Careers in Medicine. You must be a very, very busy woman. Can you please share with us a couple of things that's keeping you sane in this crazy busy life of yours? I don't know if I'm actually sane. I think I probably, <laughs> with all things that I do, people think I'm a little bit mad, um, which is which is fine. I think sometimes you need to be mad to be creative and, and come up with some of these things that I do. But for me, really, work is not, doesn't feel like work. It feels like, you know, it's exciting and it's fun. And I think having the variety in what I do really does help me never sort of feeling like I'm getting burnt out. I don't get so sick of doing the same thing. But outside of what other people would classify as work because I, you know, see a lot of it as fun. Um, you know, I just surround myself with with really good um, friends and make sure that I'm still, you know, getting out and, and socialising. I, I love meeting people. COVID was a bit hard, but, you know, now we're able to venture out a bit. You know, I've got I've got two kids and I spend as much time with them as, as possible too and go on adventures. And I was a big traveller prior to COVID, um, you know, just you I I wouldn't stay in Sydney if I could um, help it so I didn't have work and the kids were on school holidays I was out of here Um, so it was a really hard transition to go from you know being this explorer like I'd take my kids everywhere and suddenly I had to kind of think of creative ways for us to get out and have adventures but I really loved exploring um, Sydney and New South Wales Um, I make sure that I get out every day and I do a lot of um, you know exercise and walks and just kind of getting 
out and about, but I have to get fresh air and I have to get outside. That's that's my thing. But I think it's just finding that balance when you can and making sure that you're still connecting with people, you're still having that social time, that you, you know, you spend time with your family and you do the things that are good for your health as well. So I, I find that balance, but I, I might sound like I'm really busy and frantic, but I actually find that I feel that I get the balance right. I really do. And even though, like you said, pan- the pandemic has really sucked and it's prevented you from um, exploring and traveling, which is something that you love, I actually am a tiny, tiny bit grateful for it because I think otherwise I would not have been able to like capture a free time of yours to do this. Yeah, that's right. I know. People used to say, where in the world are you now? Because um, I was just, I'd be all sorts of places. But um, yeah, it is, it's, it's true. I've managed to catch up on a lot of things that I wouldn't have been able to do over the last couple of years because um the, the, the travel it was like I'm either working or or I'm out of the country so um but you have managed to capture me and um I know it's been a, a long time coming so I'm grateful that we could do this thank you so much for joining me on the podcast Dr Amandeep Hansra thank you for having me it's um it's been awesome to be part of this If you really liked that episode, please don't forget to leave a review on iTunes to help a sister out. And don't forget to subscribe to our email list so that you never miss an episode.